Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Y'all have to excuse me, I sound a little froggy, don't I? I've got fighting all this crud like everybody else, but we'll try to get through it, all right? Good to see you guys out this morning. Thank you for uh, your generosity with your love offering towards Floyd and Katrina. I know it's going to be a real blessing uh, to them. But let's get into the word this morning. After 61 years of human experience that I have on this earth, I've come to the conclusion that there are very few occasions when being close or almost is ever good enough. Have you figured that out? Rarely does it work out. Once in a while it applies, like being almost dead. Almost dead is certainly better than fully dead, correct? You know, a pessimist would say, man, that guy's almost dead. The the optimist says, hey, man, he's still alive. I prefer to be an optimist, don't you? I love the line for, we have any Princess Bride fans here? I love that movie. I, I like, Billy Crystal has a great line in that movie. And he says, there's a big difference between almost dead and fully dead. With almost dead, there's always a chance. With fully dead, about all you can do is go through their pockets and look for loose change. I always find that amusing. But anyway, I'll take almost dead over fully dead any day of the week, right? But in most of life's experience, almost or close is rarely good enough. You might be close, but close doesn't ring the bell. You might be almost there, but almost doesn't get you there, does it? It all comes down to that last step. This is a message that I I call horseshoes and hand grenades. We'll get to that in a little bit. I've heard a lot of motivational speakers say things like, you've just got to take that first step. You just got to take that first step. That's the most important step. If you don't take that first step, you could end up like me living in a van down by the river. Motivational speakers have said things like that. I'll tell you, I don't completely agree with that statement. The first step is very, very important. We all know that. But it is that last step that gets you there, right? People take first steps all the time. I don't get super excited about first steps, but it's finding people that are willing to see it through the end to take that final step that completes their journey. That's the impressive step. A lot of people have walked down a marriage aisle only to get cold feet and not take that last step. How many of you guys, anybody like me, you remember from high school... Maybe you were going to call up a girl and ask her out for a date, and you picked up that phone and you started to dial the number. You get the first six down, and that last one, that seventh number, you just hang up the phone. You chicken out. You couldn't get that last number dialed. You were very close. You had six out of seven, but probably because of the fear of rejection, you just couldn't take that last step. We've all had situations in our life that, where we took a journey, but we weren't going to make the last step. You know, we've only got so, I only have so many stories. So you've probably heard this story before, bear with me. When I was a youth pastor, it's been several months ago, I took a group of kids down to Mexico. 
And I mean, we, uh, we had ministry every day. There was one day we had off. And so the, the locals there said, we're going to take you guys to the lagoon. I said, oh, that sounds neat. Said, oh, it's, it's the most beautiful place on earth. And so, okay, let's go to the lagoon. And so we started hiking through, not the woods, it's like through jungle. And we hiked and we hiked. And I'm telling you, I was about to think, are we ever going to get to the lagoon, you know? And so I had about 15 young people with me. And finally, we broke out into this opening. And there it was. And they weren't lying. It was like out of a movie kind of scene. This deep, deep blue, this huge lagoon surrounded by these rock cliffs. It was just absolutely stunning. And they said, now there's a little trail you can take right around the back of that cliff and you can get up to the top and you can jump in. And we looked up and it, they said it's about 60 feet. Now here's 60 feet from the floor to the ceiling. Here's about 20 feet. So it's like three times that size. How many of you have ever noticed when you're looking up at something, you think, well, that looks pretty high. But when you get up there and you look down and said, this is crazy high. <laughs> and so... Me, and I think there were three other kids, two, other, two boys and a girl that was on the trip. We hike up to the top of that thing, and I get right to the edge, and I look down, and I decide, you know, we've taken all these steps up here. We're not taking that one. That's crazy. And I was about, as I'm about to turn around and tell the kids, we're not going to do this, this girl says, excuse me, Pastor Doug, and shoot, off she goes. And now I'm stuck. I can't say, well, I know that girl just jumped, but I'm not going to jump. You know, I can't do that. And so off I went, and that was an adventure. I found out if you don't, if from 60 feet, if you don't enter the water completely straight, bad things happen. I didn't know what to expect. I'd never jumped from anywhere near that high. But when I had my hands kind of like this. But when I hit that water, the impact, boom, it hit, my hand came up and hit me in the chin so hard. I must, you must go down what seems like 20 feet into the water. It takes forever to get. And as I'm trying to come back up, I'm, I'm literally feeling, I bet I'm missing teeth. I bet, do I have all my teeth? And then also, because I went into an angle, it felt like someone had taken a, like a 2 by 12 and hit me as hard as you can on the seat of the pants. Just pow! I mean, this was all because of that girl. <laughs> but we're talking about this morning, we're talking about crossing a line. It all deals with a line. It deals with people who sometimes will go so far, but not completely. It deals with uh, the fear and the anxiety that sometimes goes along with taking that last step. You know, it's that last step that's the hardest. That's the real step of faith, right? It's that last step that says, I am in. I'm committed to this thing. It's that last step that's always going to cost you something. It's that last step that really takes the risk. And it's that last step that sends the message to those around you, you're in. Sometimes I found out by someone else taking that last step, it causes you to take the last step. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. It depends on your journey, right? There's a lot of people sitting in prison today because someone else took a last step and they decided to take it too. So it goes, it's, it operates on both ends of the spectrum, doesn't it? 
A lot of people will take steps all the way to the door, but they just won't cross the threshold. The threshold, that's, that's an interesting word, actually. I, I have studied that word, looked it up. The threshold is the dividing line between in and out. The threshold separates outside from inside. If you want to know whether you're inside or outside, look where the threshold is and see what side you're on. That's what determines inside or outside. And a lot of people will take steps all the way up to the door, but they just won't cross the threshold. There's a story in, in the book of Mark, the 12th chapter, if you want to get out and turn on your Bibles, like Randy Ruiz said. You know, we used to say, turn with me. Now I said, power up and look. <clears throat> verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, is a story, in my opinion, of great, great tragedy. And I'm going to read the story, and you see if you agree. Here's the story. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Does anybody catch the tragedy in this story? Well, we need to talk about it then. Otherwise, I was just going to let you go right now. But nobody raised their hand, so apparently you don't know. So we're just going to move on, okay? You had your chance to get out of here early, and you blew it. I don't know. None of us know exactly what transpired after this exchange of words. But I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued with what Jesus said to the scribe right there at the end. He said, man... You are almost there. You are just right on the border of God's kingdom. And so let's define that word almost. It means slightly short of, not quite, nearly, but not completely. Every golfer in this room knows the difference of all, the definition of almost. A one-inch putt counts against your score the same as a 30-foot putt. You might have been almost in, but it's still going to take you one more to get in. And that's the one that kills you, you know. The scribe, who is a religious scholar, he was witnessing this clash between Jesus and the Sadducees. And he decided, after hearing what Jesus had to say, man, this teacher is so incredibly wise. That's good, right? He was siding with Jesus, not the Sadducees. And he wanted to know, he honestly wanted to know what commandment is the absolute top of the heap. And Jesus gave him the answer. So the scribe absolutely believed that Jesus was correct. And Jesus said to him, you are almost there right on the border of God's kingdom. Now, there are six good things about the scribe 
that made him close to the kingdom. And let's go through those kind of briefly. Six good things about this guy. One, he had a great knowledge of the scriptures. That's why he was a scribe and a religious scholar. He was more acquainted with the word of God than the average dude walking down the street. That's good, right? Just shake your heads with me. That's a good thing. Scribes devoted their lives to studying God's law. Secondly, he was obviously very interested in spiritual matters. That's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing to be interested. The sincerity of his question tells us he was very interested. His question to Jesus was not a question that was trying to raise a controversy. You know, it wasn't for the purpose of trying to trap Jesus in some answers like the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always trying to do. It wasn't anything about that. It was a very sincere question, and he regarded Jesus as this incredibly wise teacher, and he just wanted to know what he had to say about this particular matter. Which one is the greatest commandment? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were always trying to stump Jesus with like, trick questions. The scribe seemed very pleased when Jesus sort of blasted the Sadducees. See, the difference was this. The Sadducees, they had come to entrap Jesus, but this scribe had come seeking knowledge. So thirdly, he was a a religious man of moral integrity. We can assume that. Because he was a scribe, he was uh, undoubtedly very, uh, a very devout religious man. He undoubtedly observed the Jewish laws, the burnt offerings, the sacrifices, the Sabbath. He believed there was one true God. That's a good thing, isn't it? Today, we got a real problem with that. This wasn't one of this guy's problems. He believed in the one true God. He believed that God was deserving of all of our love. Yet another good thing, right? Fourth, he was courageous. We know that because he wasn't afraid to step out from the crowd and ask his question. The fifth good thing we know, he obviously, he respected Jesus. It's a good thing to respect Jesus, isn't it? His words evidenced a respect for both the person and the teaching of Jesus. And his response to Jesus uh, Jesus' answer shows that he had, he had a real genuine love for the truth. Man, having a love for the truth is a good thing. And sixth, he believed that outward religion was not enough. Well, once you, once you have that truth and understanding, you, you're well on your way. If you really believe outward, because the world is full of people that have a lot of outward religion. You know, although this guy was Jewish, it seems like he kind of got it. He knew that loving God took priority even over obeying religious rules. Loving God came first. He agreed with Jesus' answer, and he accepted this idea that loving God superseded any religious rule. And so Jesus really affirms him for his understanding. And he says, man, brother, You are so close. You are not far from the kingdom. You are almost there. 
But you have to notice the tragedy is what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, man, that's great. You are in. You have made it into the kingdom. There's no scriptural evidence as to whether the scribe ever made it into the kingdom of heaven or not, or if he died just outside the gate. We don't know for sure. We never hear any more about it. But we know this, not far is not in, is it? Close doesn't count. The truth is that a man who drowns 10 feet from the shoreline is just as dead as a man who drowned 1,000 miles out to sea. When it comes to salvation, if you miss it by a millimeter, you have missed it. You know, there's a scripture in Job where Job says, I have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. And there have been many a sermon preached on those that will escape the death of hell by the skin of their teeth. But if you believe that, then you also have to believe the converse of that. Every truth has a converse of that truth. And so if there's a lot of people that are going to make it to heaven by the skin of their teeth, it is also true there'll be a lot of people who miss heaven by what? The skin of their teeth. They were almost, they were so close. They were right there, but they weren't in. So the great tragedy of this story is this was a great guy who was not in the kingdom, but he was just near it. I think that is one of the great sorrows of life. We probably all know some really good people that we could trust with just almost anything, any part of our life. They're really good people. They're living so close to the kingdom of God, but they're just not quite in. They just haven't taken that last step, the one that really counts, right? But Jesus commended this man for a few reasons. He commended him for his basic understanding of Jesus' teachings because of the fact that he understood that the law of love superseded Jewish law. He understood so much. He knew the right answers, but he just didn't have all of the truth at this point. He was very much like the people that Paul wrote about in 2 Timothy when Paul said, there's people, they're always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, we live in a world like that today. We're all about knowledge. People just, you know, trying the hardest to get all the knowledge they can get, but they're seeking knowledge, but what they're not seeking is absolute truth. All the knowledge in the world isn't going to save us. The only thing that saves us is God's truth. But there's people, I mean, there's people, you probably all know them. I mean, they know doctrine, man. They can talk church doctrine forwards and backwards. They know scripture. They know church. They know, they know, they know. But they're not quite in. So it makes you wonder how much has changed in our churches over the last couple thousand years. A lot of times I tend to think, not a whole lot. Human nature hasn't changed in a couple thousand years. But here's what I think that this scribe did not understand. The scribe didn't understand the reality and the depth of his own sin. Now that is as common as common gets. 
You know, one problem that is epidemic in humanity today is the problem of overestimating and underestimating. Do you know that's a big problem with people? Might be a big problem with you and you don't even realize it. We all, at some times, we share this problem of overestimating and underestimating. We tend to overestimate our own goodness and we always underestimate the reality of our own sin. And one big reason for that is because we humans have this natural tendency to use the wrong measuring stick when we're measuring our own righteousness. Are you with me here? We like to measure ourselves against our own kind. That is a big, big problem. We like to measure ourselves against, you know, that guy, that guy over there. The big problem is we have no constant. How many of you are science buffs? In the scientific world, the first thing you learn that anytime something is measured or compared or analyzed, they have an unflappable rule. And that rule is anything you're measuring, analyzing, or comparing must be measured against a constant. A constant is something that is so stable it never changes. And every, anything that is measured has to be measured against a constant. Oh, Ozarka, this is not really the brand I like, Pastor Todd. Uh, we, we didn't have any Perrier back there? Nope, all out of Perrier? Okay. I'll go with the Ozarka. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you, sir. <laughs> So where was I before I got sarcastic there? It's, <laughs> oh, I was talking about a constant, wasn't I? <clears throat> you have to have a constant. Mankind, any of us, no matter how good we are, how many of you will raise your hand and you'll admit, I am no constant? Half of you. Okay, the other half, raise your hand right now. I am a liar. <laughs> you know, we're one or the other. One or the other. None of us are constants. We've all, none of us are perfect, right? Mankind is the farthest thing from a constant of anything I know of. We change a lot. We change all the time. We change our hairdos. We change our clothes. But that's a good thing. We change our minds. We change our spouses. We change our moral beliefs. We change our religious beliefs. Now we're living in an age where we're changing our definition about male and female. I mean, the world has just gone nuts. That's how much we change. There is almost nothing about ourselves we haven't changed at some point or probably will change in the future. I see some of you women nudging your husband. You're, you're, you're thinking, you don't know my husband. The man hasn't changed in 30 years. Yes, he has. Yet we love to use others as a gauge to measure ourselves. You know, we, we like to look at other people and say, and we'll say, well, you know, <laughs> I've got a few faults, but I'm telling you, thank God I'm not like that old so-and-so over there. And usually the motive behind our judgmentalism is to make us feel better about ourselves because 
We know what our weaknesses are. Nobody else does, but we do. The truth is this, as righteous as any of us think we might be, according to God's word, you round up all that righteousness and in presence of God, it looks like filthy rags. So we can stop feeling so incredible about ourselves. The Bible says that the heart of man is so desperately wicked that none of us can fully understand its depths. Man, that's a feel-good scripture, isn't it? But it's truth because it's in the Bible. And I think all of us, if we're completely honest with ourselves, would admit if it weren't for whatever measure of God we've got in there, we would be way, way worse than we are right now. So instead, we like to measure ourselves against other people who are not constants. And we like to say, well, you know, I may be doing some things wrong, I know, but I'll tell you what, I am a lot closer to God than that guy. And you know what? When you have thoughts like that, there's a good chance you are 100% right. That's right. You might be a lot better person than that dude over there. You may be much closer to God than that guy over there, but you know what? Big deal. Doesn't mean a thing. If you've got some ungodly junk in your life that you're choosing not to deal with, you might be a little closer to heaven. You might be a little closer to God than that guy, but you know what? Close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. You've, how many of you heard that old saying? Being close to the pearly gate doesn't get you in the pearly gate. It just gets you close. Now, here's some gospel according to Doug. You can take it or leave it. I personally think that self-righteousness is going to keep more people out of heaven than all the murderers, all the rapists, and all the thieves all put together. That's what I believe. You say, Pastor Doug, why do you believe that? I'm glad you asked. Because in my lifetime, I have personally, I know people who were murderers, rapists, and thieves. I personally know some. And you know what? They are a small, small minority compared to all the people I know, many who seem to think a little too much of themselves. And I think self-righteousness is going to keep more people out of heaven than anything else. Self-righteousness, it keeps us from taking that last step into the kingdom because we think we are good enough and God's not going to hold a few little sins against a, a basically good person like me. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands if you've ever had a thought like that. Because to tell you the truth, we've, at one point in our lives, we've probably all been guilty of that. Using other people to, as our measuring stick for our righteousness. And I think that uh, this, this concept is one of the great differences between religion and Christianity. The concept that too many people view their religion as kind of like this big scale of justice. And, and, and people think as long, you know, you got your good deeds on this side, you got your bad deeds on this side, and as long as the good deeds kind of outweigh the bad deeds, you, you're probably okay with your ticket to heaven. Now, I tell you, I feel sorry for you if you're depending on a scale of justice to get you into heaven. 
not going to work. The Bible tells us very plainly, there is no way that our own righteousness, no matter how much we've got, is ever going to merit our entrance into the kingdom of God. Because when we hold our righteousness up next to God, he's already told us it looks like garbage. No matter how good we try to be, you're never going to get that scale tipped in your favor. We absolutely have to have the blood of Jesus to cover our unbalanced scale. We all fall short of the glory of God. We need Jesus and we need his grace. We need God's grace. That's what we need in our life. Some people are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven simply because they just had too much pride to admit they had some junk in their life and they needed, to, they needed God's grace to cover it. That's, that's pretty sad when they were so close, you know? I don't think that this scribe realized that literally salvation was found in this person to whom he was speaking. He didn't realize that. He referred to Jesus as a good teacher, not as Lord. Big difference, right? He was talking face to face with the person who had just got done saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It's not enough to be religious or moral or to have spiritual curiosity or even spiritual sincerity. It's not enough to respect Jesus and to even agree with all of his teachings. That's not enough. The scribe did all of that. And Jesus said, man, you're close, but you're not in. What he needed to do was accept Jesus as the son of God, son of the one true God, and profess himself openly to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what he needed to do, but he hadn't taken that last step. But a lot of people are very much like that today. They've heard of Jesus. They might even believe in Jesus, but they haven't really given themselves to Jesus. They respect Jesus in their own little way. They attend church, they read, they believe most of the Bible. Usually these type of people like to kind of do the cafeteria plan so I'll take a little bit of that, and I'll take some of that. That oh, You can have that. We have to take it all or nothing, right? There's no picking and choosing. I'm sure we all have parts of the Bible that we don't like as much as other parts because that's the part that speaks against something that we really kind of enjoyed. But we're either in or we're out. We can't pick or choose. They might be close. Man, they might be very, very close. The problem is close doesn't, that's it. Close doesn't count. And you know, I'm sure there's somebody here today that this is speaking to. You are real, real close. You know, you, you know what I think God is probably trying to speak into you today? He's saying, instead of being content with your nearness, let your nearness be the reason to take that last step 
and get in before it's too late. You know, at some point for all of us, it, it's going to be too late. We all have that too late point. None of us know when it's coming. That's why it's good to be ready right now, right? Millions are going to be the number who were so close, but they just didn't take that last step. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and what? Knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. A lot of people love, they've, they've read that verse, they know it, they believe it, they love it. And they use it to what they think is their advantage. Jesus has just told us, he's standing at that door and he's knocking. Whenever we go open it, he's going to be right there. How many of you find solace in that truth? Because it is a truth. You have to answer the door while he's knocking. The knock won't be there forever. There's a coming a time we all have that too late point when our life comes to an end. See, this is the crazy part. There's a lot of people that hear the knocking at the door today. That's the crazy part. Here's the crazier part. They believe it's Jesus standing at the door doing the knocking. They believe that Jesus is knocking, and that's why they're not opening the door. Because they fully believe it's him. But instead, they, they, people tend to choose to not open the door because they believe that, you know, when they're done doing all the crazy things they really know they shouldn't be doing, when they've sowed all their wild oats, you know, they've just done all the stuff that they think the world has to offer, that he'll still be there knocking. And then once they're good and ready and they've done all their crazy stuff, they can just kind of mosey over to the door and open it up and there he'll be. Well, I have to tell you what I believe is truth today. I hope you will buy into this. I think that most often, by the time you get done doing all the crazy stuff you just thought you had to do, even though you knew truth, that before you answer that knock on the door, you allow your life's direction to become so confused and so turned upside down that ultimately you're not, not able to find your way back to the door. You're so disoriented at that point. The longer I serve God, the more clearly I understand that nothing happens by coincidence. Do you believe that? I believe this morning, by divine appointment, God brought you into this house of worship. Maybe you think you're here by coincidence, but I don't believe it. Nothing happens by coincidence in the kingdom of God. If you choose again today to disregard this, what I believe is a divine opportunity given to you by God himself, you may very one day stand before him and you'll hear him say, now, remember that day I gave you, February 16th, 2020? I brought you right into my house, and you were so close, but you wouldn't take that last step. You were, you were almost there. Well, I tell you, that's one conversation none of us ever want to have with God. You have to answer his knock while he's still knocking. 
You've got to answer the knock on the door while you're still able to find the door. Amen? That's, that's the key. So this morning, hear this incredible truth. You're only a few steps away from the door and he is still knocking. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.